You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. It uh, kind of sucked that we lost a few trees, but there you go. You can't have everything, either beauty or trees. Either beauty or trees. That's what we should name the podcast. Either uh, all right, Michael, we were having some technical difficulties. All right, how does it sound now? Hey, that sounds much better. All right, all that right. must be it. Yep. So 2023, start off the year with a good Tesla story. And this, I'm not being sarcastic. This is actually very impressive. So in uh, in Cal- Northern California, a four-year-old girl, a nine-year-old boy, and two adults survived Monday after the car plunged off a Northern California cliff along the Pacific Coast Highway near an area known as Devil's Slide that's known for fatal wreck. The Tesla sedan plummeted more than 250 feet from the highway, crashed into a rocky outcropping right above the water, and everyone survived. Like, that's, I mean, IIHS really has to upgrade their testing standards. Like, that's That's incredible. I wonder if IHS wants to run cars off cliffs to do that. That sounds really expensive. Um, it, was, it was incredible. I mean, it, you know, I think we saw as first responder quarter say, you know, they he's been there with many users and seen many crashes. Of I'm, people I'm sorry, your audio's your audio's all crackly and crunchy still. Well, we're gonna have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And this is a time limited test. Wondering if it might be my uh, network connection hopping on and off here. Okay. Well, he he adjusts that. I mean, uh, uh, unbelievable. I mean, like Fred, what did you what did you think about this when you read the article? Well, it's amazing structurally. I, I, you know, it's incredible that they survived a car rolling down a, a cliffside and you know an elevation of a couple hundred feet. It does make you wonder a little bit though about the automatic emergency braking in the uh, in the Tesla. You'd think that they would somehow have a ability to note that they have gone off the edge of the continent and you know they probably shouldn't try to drive there uh, what's well, the problem with northern california i don't know if, if you've done a lot of driving out there but i mean a lot of these roads are shouldn't exist <clears throat> I and mean, they wash away regularly they're on the edge of cliffs like this is known as devil's slide where it's <clears throat> like 36 fatalities in the last decade alone on a yeah, road. And 101 i, I have the yeah. Good fortune to have driven all the way down there and survived the experience. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful, but why aren't there road barriers in the way? And and if our uh, intrepid uh, legal mind has... I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I was going down there one time and I was taking pictures along the way and I saw a really nice spot to take a picture. So I went out and waded through the weeds and, you know, got to a good point to take the picture and successfully flip the shutter and then took a close look at the weeds I was um, wading through and it turned out to be poison sumac, <laughs> uh, which I can tell you is uh, very virulent. I, I plumped up really nicely after that, even though I tried to be careful taking my clothes off. But yeah, interesting. I guess that's why people stay in their cars along the way. I guess so. Michael, how, how's our audio? How do you think it is? A little better? No. What is going on? Maybe disconnect the microphone. We'll just go right to computer audio. Let's see right here. Now. Let's see. It's it's like your your gain is cranked. It's my internet somehow. No, it's it's much better now. It's some setting on your microphone. Hmm. That's right. weird. So I was suggesting that you know the Institute for Insurance for Highway Safety upgrade their crash testing to handle this because this is like six star crashworthiness yeah, i don't think they have room in their facility for a 250 foot cliff um that you know and i also don't think you know this is a type of dynamic testing that would be impossible really because you there's so many different ways a car could go over a cliff you're going to be witnesses in this situation suggested the car was flipping which to me sounds like it was end over end i mean you could go down sideways there are a million different ways and to the other question i mean we've got four million miles worth of roads in america and putting barriers up 
every place there's a drop-off might not make a lot of sense from an infrastructure perspective. Um, I, I mean, I think it might make more sense in the future to build cars, you know, that know where those drop-offs are and won't won't go over them. That might make more sense. But this this situation was pretty tragic. I mean, the, yeah. the driver was charged quickly with, um, I think, you know, child abuse and attempted murder. So it sounds like there was some pretty compelling witness testimony to the effect of it being an intentional act. Um, so you can't. That's not something I think infrastructure can plan for. Um, if you want to drive a car off a roadway and endanger yourself and other people, it's not going to be something that the DOT for each state is going to be able to solve by putting up barriers. But I also don't imagine, I mean, a lot of these coastal roads in California, they wash out regularly and like disappear. So it's maybe not so much a barrier issue is more of uh, don't build roads there. A little, little late for that, I'm afraid. But but they move the road. Like I, I, I you know, is this too radical of an idea? Because because they keep rebuilding roads in these places that wash out. I remember driving through the Santa Cruz Mountains when I lived out in California, and like regularly, like it was, you know, you were like, do I live today? Do I die today? You're watching half of the road disappear, and you know there'd be no one to coordinate traffic. You just be like, hey, is this other driver? And California drivers can't handle the rain. But, you know, mudslide, eh, not so much either. You know, yeah, it's a major I think what you need- that they were on. So that's that's a tough call. You know, it's going to probably – I don't think you could eliminate the road. I mean, I think the solution is to, you know, continue to rebuild the road if it's worth it to the citizens in California. Um, but, you know, who knows? This is a, this goes along with a lot of, you know, ideas I've thought about in relation, you know, hurricanes and places that tend to have disasters over and over again and – um for some reason people continue to live there and to um you know in some circumstances use taxpayer money to to continue to live there um which doesn't make a lot of sense to me you know particularly when we're seeing things like rising sea levels and you know the you know the suggestion at least that storms in the future are going to get worse and impact these areas even more. I mean, we see right now in California, they've had, I think they're on their third storm today that's caused some pretty massive flooding. And I can't imagine that um, the roads and highways in California are are, are doing too well right now. Um, there's got to be a, a lot of landslides and a, and a lot of other things going on. Yeah, when, in that particular case, though, once you name something the coast highway, you're pretty well constrained about where you're going to put it. <laughs> fair enough fair enough and the view is amazing it's very pretty uh if the pen is mightier than the sword it's probably mightier than the bulldozers as well but i would say you know it's a testament really to to the crash word there was something that you'll never hear me say a bad word about tesla on um is their crashworthiness, which you know they they do great in tests and this it wasn't a test this was a you know it's a lot of people describe it as a miracle. I don't really believe in miracles, but, you know, it's a, certainly a testament to, you know, the crashworthiness of Teslas. If they could get their marketing skills up to their uh, the level of their crashworthiness design, I think we'd see a lot. We'd have a lot fewer problems with them. Continuing along Northern California and and fun cars, uh, the San Francisco Gate uh, had a little article about someone's ride in a driverless Waymo. And about how they're like, hey, this is fascinating. I got in this car and it it drove itself. Um, but they concluded that I'm not really sure if we need this. Now, uh, there's a couple things in the article that really stood out to me. Um, one, there was there are certain appealing aspects of the service, like the fact that the fleet up is is made of entirely electric cars in good, clean condition, also known as brand new cars that are barely used like that's you know wait a couple years when this is widespread and those seats will be covered in vomit uh and torn apart uh the other thing and this is a very silicon valley tech worker approach to life uh the reason that some of these people like these driverless vehicles is they feel safe falling asleep can do whatever i want since there's no human total freedom like i can which is so disconnected from the human experience. Like it's, I don't want humans around me while I pick my nose in a cab uh, or do something else. 
uh, it's very strange to me. I, um, you know, I, I didn't notice those two particular flights when I was reading. I noticed more, you know, the, the person had a good ride. And then after, you know, reflecting on it was kind of thinking, you know, why, why do we really need this? And there weren't really any good reasons. I mean, you know, being able to pick your nose in the car by yourself doesn't really strike me as something that we should be developing half a million dollar vehicles for. Um, I'm still a little, uh, I guess, on the side of folks who are questioning, you know, why do we need this right now? I mean, Obviously, if these things were working perfectly and completely prevented traffic injuries and deaths, it would be another story. But they're not, and they're nowhere near that point yet. Um, and until they are, you know, that why question is really is really big because, um, you know, we have a lot of questions about you know whether people can actually ever own these things. You know, it, it's essentially for the next few decades at a minimum we think probably going to be a robo taxi type situation where the car is coming to you and there are a lot of questions there regarding you know is that as efficient as someone simply driving an ev from their home to their location and back when you've got a uh, another vehicle that's going to have to come to them take them and then come to them again to take them back home so there's there's some inefficiencies there that really don't make a lot of sense um so we're still on the we're st- I think we're we are definitely still uh waiting to see good reasons for this technology to be deployed widely across America. We just don't think it's quite there yet. Well, I think we're stuck in the classic conundrum of whether you want to embrace inductive reasoning or deductive reasoning. And which is complicated, but <clears throat> with the with the EVs and the Teslas and self driving, people are just convinced that they're a good idea, and all of their analysis of the situation seems to derive from the belief that this is a good idea. And so, whatever whatever circumstances happen, like the reporter saying, "Why are we doing this at all?" People tend to interpret that as meaning, well, the supporter just doesn't really understand it. We've we've got to believe that these are good things, and we should go ahead and continue down this road. Uh, whereas the evidence of what people are experiencing with these things is, frankly, mostly negative so far. People throwing stones at them, people resenting them in their neighborhood, uh, the reporter being disillusioned by even a perfectly performing self-driving vehicle it's interesting it's interesting to me that it really seems like an article of faith among people that this has got to be good so what is it about this that i don't understand that makes me think it's not good uh i found a good reason to have this self-driving robo taxi on new year's eve my wife and i ordered a, a lift to take us from our apartment to a friend's and uh, you get to watch on the app where the driver is and the driver got stuck in a loop in a park near me and like it just you know you see it's like hey two minutes away now it's three minutes away and it literally just went around the person went around in a circle and it's not like there's any other traffic they're literally in a, in a park that i don't know why they were there to begin with um but they kept getting stuck and in a in a loop and so they come and get us and they park across from our apartment which is a you know a four-lane highway like expecting us to cross. There's no crosswalk. There's nothing. And I'm like having a wave with the guy. Like, there's no way I'm coming across. He eventually gets us. And then he can't follow the map inside the car. Like the map says, go left. He goes right. But again, well, that explains him getting stuck in the circle, right? Right. It's very confusing. Like if you can't. Well, Anthony, at, at, at that point, you know, didn't you think it would have been prudent for you to find a different driver? <laughs> See, yes. When we saw him do the loop a couple times, I wanted to cancel it. But the problem is if you cancel it at that point, they're you're like, we're going to charge you anyway. Yeah. And so you're like, what the hell? So I, I took a chance and uh, we eventually got there. I mean, there was a point where Lyft texted me and said, hey, are you safe? Because we see that you're not going the right direction. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, you know, that's good that they have that that in their in their tech um, to at least alert or potentially help out people who are in a bad situation. But you know, I've 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 probably been in similar situations. I think mainly after concerts and in, in DC, sometimes it's really difficult to get a to get an Uber. 
to get to you an Uber or a Lyft. Um, and it's, you know, you'll have a lot of cancellations and a lot of frustration. So I understand once you get a, you, once you get that driver hanging onto that chance at a ride is important sometimes. I just didn't want to be billed for a service that I felt unsafe with. So Lyft, if you're listening, allow me to cancel. You, you're watching the driver and they're getting stuck in a circle. Like it wasn't even a roundabout. Like it was bizarre. Uh, so that's, that's my, uh, you know, my robo taxi wouldn't have done that because robots are perfect. Uh, and <laughs> the two of them were looking at me dumbfounded. The video version of this is going to be amazing one day. <laughs> so <laughs> speaking of technology, uh, GM, uh, there's a petition for OnStar subscribers. So OnStar, remember it came out in what, the 90s? Very cool service that uses old school 2G cell phones um, to that you can say, help, I'm stuck and I can't get up. And you press a little OnStar button and they say, hey, great, we know where you are. Uh, it's been using Verizon and Verizon. I, I didn't even know Verizon still had their 2G service because um, they're phasing that out. They're phasing out 3G service. And so a bunch of OnStar subscribers are like, hey, just, you know, upgrade our upgrade our service like we you know it's it's like your home internet provider um you know they'll give you a new cable modem um if need be and so far gm is just being silent on this or saying use an app instead yeah i don't really understand that that whole imperative by gm to leave its customers hanging it seems like a bad idea but uh, two, you know, two G is going away. Three G is going away. That's just what's happening. So, people have got to make adjustments. I don't think the band. I don't think the bandwidth allocation is going away. I think it must be just going to somebody else, or a question of the formatting of the message. You know, I, I, I we discussed this before in in relation to three G and the three G. Um, the the end of 3G, which is something that I think is ha- has has already happened or is in the midst of happening, but 2G is even older technology. But the you know GM was using 2G for its OnStar on vehicles through 2014 up to 2015. You know, I, I this is well after the advent of 3G and into the 4G era. I'm pretty sure. So I think that that GM could have done some better planning there. Um, you know, it's it's something that's going to become critical as we put more electronics in cars, ensuring those electronics can last for the usable, you know, life of a car, which is going to be at least over a decade. And, you know, building vehicles into 2015, into the 2015 model year, when they already knew 2G wasn't going to be available in the future and probably 3G as well, is just doesn't seem like a good, uh, good customer uh, service plan. No, but it's a good example of of orphan software, and we've talked about that too, how uh, when you buy a car and when you buy a durable asset that relies on software, the software world continues to progress while your durable asset sits there and collects dust. Uh, you know, that's that's a persistent problem among any complex system that relies on software that isn't necessarily tied to that system. You're always trying to play catch up to the latest technical advances. And sometimes uh, like a Tesla, you just fall off a cliff. And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a big deal if, you know, they didn't have automatic crash notification um, wrapped into the system for us, at least, you know, if it was just a matter of whether mommy can call Johnny to make sure that he's been picked up from school or, you know, some of these creature comforts that we see being loaded into electronics and cars, if they relied on 2G, well, you know, you get what you pay for there. But when you when you're putting safety features into these systems, you know, they don't they should not be running into the type of problem problem that Fred was talking about. And they shouldn't, you know, if they do, there should be some kind of plan that will allow owners to, you know, to continue having automatic crash notification without charging them exorbitant fees. Um, here, GM appeared to offer them plans, uh, subscription plans that could upgrade their system, but it doesn't seem like a lot of GM owners are very happy with that. 
Hmm. Yeah, because it is a monthly service. And I, I remember seeing a long time ago in a, in a girlfriend's trunk of her Buick, um, based on the module for it. And it was just, it looked like a cell phone, essentially. So it shouldn't be a hard swap to make. But what do I know? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure anything that costs a dollar means a lot when you scale it amongst every car GM produces. So I'm sure that's on their mind. <laughs> right. Um. Here's a fun little uh, uh, ADAS news. Um, I, I don't, this doesn't really qualify for recall roundup yet, so it's not that. But uh, from Nissan, improper bumper refinishing could degrade ADAS. This is the... <laughs> what is ADAS there for again? God damn it. Advanced Driver Assistance System. There you no, go. Yeah, I got it. Uh, so basically, that's where a lot of cars have their radar sensors, uh, except for Tesla's. Uh, because they don't believe in radar sensors until like two weeks from now, that which they'll believe in radar again. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of cars use proximity sensors there, and they don't have you know full scale radar in ultrasonic. In, yeah, in in most ADAS uh, applications, I, but it, the, the thing about that that um, story that was interesting was you know it's you know something as small as an extra coat of paint can interfere with your with your sensors and your system. And that's something that, you know, when you consider that, uh, it's something that should inspire owners, first of all, to be sure that they are keeping that that area of their car clean. Because if an extra coat of paint, something of that thickness can interfere, then, you know, dirt, snow, anything that's going to collect in your car, bugs, all those things could interfere with your ADAS function. So, um, you know, maybe one day we'll have wipers for our bumpers to prevent this problem, but I haven't seen those yet. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I like it. So, people out there, make sure your bumpers are clean. Bumpers don't really exist anymore, but, you know, that front fascia of your car, make sure that's yeah. clean. That's where And I'm they're putting is. sensors all over the place now. So, it, it, it really, if you want to make sure your sensors are clean, you're going to have to consult your owner's manual and figure out where those things are and make sure those areas aren't aren't uh obscured by your you know santa claus stuff at christmas your reindeer nose your bows your wreaths your you know dallas cowboys flags hanging out of your car there's a lot of things people put on their cars that you know you need to be careful with your bug bra on the front of the vehicle you know a what you know what they call it a bug bra. It goes across the front of your car to protect your car from, from bugs going into your air intake. I believe it is. <laughs> is this a problem like that? That needed a solution. It's sold. I mean, I've, I, I saw it regularly um, back in the day. I haven't seen one in quite some time now, but you know, there's, there's, if there's a problem, there's somebody selling a solution. Sometimes if there's not a problem, there's somebody selling one. Wow. Okay. Or, you know, we'll just come up with the car bidet service. Car bidet. Clean all of your sensors at once. Feel refreshed. Uh, It'd be a growth industry for some of the folks in New York hanging out on the street corners, though. Are they still doing the windshields there? Or are they? No, that was they gone away? in the 90s. No, they, um, they still do them in. I know they do them in Baltimore because I believe someone was killed when he got out of his car and went after some of them about six months ago. So it's still a thing. Hmm. Not in New York though. I haven't seen a squeegee man since Giuliani. That's what I was going to say. Rudy, Rudy got rid of him. Right. Did he not like the competition? (laughs) Uh, Hey, never mind. It's political (laughs) jokes. Yes. Uh, Should we move? It's a new year. Should we move into uh, everyone's favorite segment, the Tao of Fred. You've now entered the Tao of Fred. Oh, let's do. Okay, this week, it's not some random technical turn, some acronym that will confuse me. It is New Car Smell. And and people love the New Car Smell, but Fred, it's just formaldehyde, right? No, it's much right. more than formaldehyde. Formaldehyde's only one small part of it. Um, you know, this, is, uh, this is actually leading to a bigger problem, um, which is the decline of sperm in males throughout the Western world. But let me let me ease into that a little bit. Driverless cars because of people doing this in the backseat. What's happening here? Um, Well, what's happening is that there are a lot of chemicals in the world that have never been tested for toxicity. And there are a lot of chemicals that have been tested for toxicity. 
Unfortunately, uh, there's more that have not been tested than have been tested. But I'm going to give you a little biochemistry here. Okay, so if you think of DNA and RNA, and you've both heard of those, right? Everybody's heard of those. Um, what they are essentially is a little stacks of wa- chemical wafers that are arranged in a certain order, and they have a certain size. And unfortunately, that size of the little wafers is about the same as what's called an aromatic hydrocarbon, like benzene, for example. Uh, they're flat. Benzene aromatic hydrocarbons are flat wafers that have a, are about the same size as the DNA So, and the RNA, uh, the what are called the bases that go in there, and um, I won't trouble you with the names of those. But the problem is that because they're the same size and shape, these chemicals can kind of slip into the RNA or DNA sequence. And so when that is transcribed, uh, it's not transcribed correctly because all of a sudden it's not, you know, it's like a zipper. If you get something stuck in a zipper, it doesn't work very well anymore. And the DNA is essentially like a zipper. Things are supposed to fit just together and zips up nicely. So all these chemicals... um or a lot of these chemicals can interfere with that. So some of the common, what are called volatile organic chemicals that are found in the air inside new vehicles include benzene, which is an aromatic hydrocarbon, toluene, which is an aromatic hydrocarbon, styrene, again, the same class of chemicals, and also formaldehyde, polyvinyl chloride, and bromine. None of these are known to be good for you. Oh, yeah, no, they're not good for me then? No, they're not good for you. So the the question then is, how much of this are you really getting from your car? And with a new car smell, there's a higher concentration. The reason you can smell these things is because they're chemically active. If you couldn't smell them, they would not be chemically active, right? So theirs are all chemically active. And as anybody who's ever breathed knows, things that are in the atmosphere can cross your uh, barriers in your lungs and into your bloodstream. Right. So this is this is the way all of those work. So one of the classes of chemicals is also called phthalates, which is hard to say. P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E. Oh, I know what these are. Yeah. Well, they make plastic soft, right? Exactly right. Hey, yeah. Hey, hey. Used to be in, uh, in kids' binkies and squeezy rubber ducks and all that sort of stuff. They have been banned from children's products because they are called endocrine disruptors that endocrine destructor uh, obstructor excuse me means Disruptors. that it it is uh something that can interfere with the normal processes for sex hormones in your body um sex hormones and growth hormones and all those kind of things those are all endocrine products they're all disrupted by this class of chemicals so the problem with phthalates is it's in the new car smell course. Um, it's also in a lot of cars that have been left out in the sun. If you've ever had a new car and you've left it in the sun for a while, you probably noticed that you had a film on the inside of your windshield that was really difficult to clean. That film is from volatile organic chemicals, the same class that we're talking about, that evaporated from your dashboard and then deposited on the screen on your uh, windshield. I should say, screens the English part of that, but uh, yeah. So the, anyway, not this just, film is. Go it's ahead. Not just my spittle on the inside of the windshield from yelling. Well, that's at people, an, that's an added feature, but yeah, oh. it's that's part of it. Anyhow, the the point is, it's really hard to clean. It's full of chemicals, and it's deposited into your body the same way it's being deposited onto the windshield. Nobody's ever tested this for exactly how many phthalates are in there and what that concentration of phthalates is doing to you. We do know that there's been at least one car company, Nissan, which was sued due to excessive um, migration of chemicals out of the dashboard and into the car, causing a lot of glare, difficulty seeing. It was shiny and sticky on the dashboard. It also deposited on the windshield. Um, This is due to phthalates. Phthalates are in the vinyl Every piece of vinyl that's in your car has has got phthalates in it because that's how they make it. Vinyl that does not have softeners in it is very brittle, so you can break it very easily. That's not what you want in the car, particularly if you've got to have an airbag penetrate through the vinyl 
to protect you in the event of a crash. So there's careful chemical composition. When these chemicals leach out of the plastic due to sun exposure and temperature, um, they go into the air, they cover surfaces, they cause glare, they do a lot of bad things. Okay, so I, now, I the, get why my phthalates are in the car. They're making my vinyl and my fake leather soft. But why is benzene in my car? Uh, benzene is a product that's used in a lot of adhesives. And to make the adhesives, uh, basically, you can think of them as thinner for the adhesives. Um, so that's that. That's how they get into the okay. car. You've also got chemicals that are coming out of the foam, the polyurethane foam that's in the seats. Uh, you've got chemicals leaching out of the seat belts, for example, because they're made out of nylon. You right? fire so, retardants. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, what, Michael? Fire retardants as well. Yeah, fire retardants. So, so all that stuff is going on in your car and you're being exposed to it. Um, so in 2016, the EPA was given the novel task of addressing all of the chemicals that are being introduced into commerce and all of those that were already in commerce. There were about 80,000 chemicals that had never been tested for toxicity that were being sold in the United States. Um, the idea was that they would get through these chemicals and then we would then have a very good idea of how much exposure the American population was having to potentially toxic chemicals. So how do you know that? Well, number one, you have to determine which ones are toxic. Then number two, you have to figure out what the consequences of those are. Unfortunately, since uh, 2016, the EPA has been completely consumed with merely testing the new chemicals. And at, at the rate they are going, uh, people think it will be a few centuries before they actually catch up with the 80,000 chemicals that are already in commerce, much less the new ones that are coming out. So the other thing that I'm concerned about, and I, I seem to be alone in the world about this, is that uh, from 1973 to 2011, men in Western countries had a 52% drop in sperm concentration uh, from an average of 99 million per milliliter to 47 million per milliliter. Uh, this is a big drop. And some companies say, well, that's not a problem because you're still, your, your guys are still fine until you hit 40 million. That's when you fall off a cliff. Well, to me, this seems like we're all walking along the edge of a cliff in, in a way that we really don't want to do that. Knowing that phthalates are a known endocrine disruptor, disruptor and knowing that this is primarily a phenomenon of men in developed countries, it's not happening in undeveloped countries, leads me to the, back to Cassandra, right? Um, uh, there, there is a strong correlation between people driving new cars and men losing our, their ability to produce adequate amounts of sperm. And I, I, you know, I don't know why nobody else has gotten into this, but the, I think this is a concern. So wrapping this all up, okay, if, if what you've got in your new car smell is, yes, a refreshing blast of joy in commerce, and that's great. <laughs> My wife's getting a new car, and I'll probably enjoy the new car smell. You're also getting a boatload of chemicals, some of which have been known to cause grievous biological problems, including loss of fertility, cancer, and a lot of other consequences of incorrect DNA transcription. So, boys and girls, if you want to study biochemistry and, and uh, car safety, this is, I think, a fertile area to look into. Remember, some of the most common VOCs found in the air inside new vehicles include benzene, toluene, formaldehyde, styrene, polyvinyl chloride, and bromine. A toxic mix that you, you don't want in your New Year's Eve festivities. So could this be a, a new excuse by men who are um, lazy or unprepared? Unprepared by unprepared men to say, yo, baby, I don't need a condom. I got a brand new car. It could be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. There's a, well, there's certainly a lot of excuses for men, you know, in that situation. And this could be another one. Hey, baby, I got a Tesla. I'm good to go. <laughs> I think this sounds like a good way to um, sell leather interiors. 
well, leather's, leather, leather's got its own set of problems. Um, right. Or hemp seats, you know, that's fire retardant. It doesn't need chemicals. No, that's pretty good. I like that idea. Instead. Just stand all... back and it catches fire. All right. Well, <laughs> it doesn't have THC in it, hemp. It's fine. Hardly my, ever. Hardly my, ever. My sister-in-law runs a, um, uh, I guess it's a mattress company where it's all chemical free and she's went and had to do fire retardant testing because all the stuff has to be fire retardant because of some obscure law from like the 30s. And, and so there are questions like, about the safety of fire retardants. Big questions. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. And so she, it's great. We go to the, she goes to the lab and you get to see footage of it. And the guys in the lab, first of all, they don't like burning any of this stuff because they realize what's in it and what they're dealing with, even with full respirators on it. So they love trying to set her mattresses on fire. One, they wouldn't catch on fire. Um, and, and two, the guys were like, this is amazing. Like we're, we're not going to ingest horrible chemicals this week. Um, but it's fascinating. So fire retardants. Do we really need them? Well, those chemicals that are the, all those chemicals that are in the mattresses are also in the seat components in your car. The foam, the stitching, the covers, it's right. all still there. So, yeah, and, and caution's good, but I don't know what you can do. And now there is a simple solution, which is to drive with your windows open and always keep the fresh air on in your car. Or the converse of that is that if you drive your car with the windows closed, recirculating the air, uh, it's probably the worst you can do for yourself. Or just have everyone buy a Jeep and, you know, remove the doors. <laughs> or take the bus. Oh, the bus is, it's got its own odors. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. does uh, have its own set of problems. Yeah, you're uh, right. Yeah. I'm going to take the bus later today and let's, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll, I will let you know how it goes. Uh, time for recall roundup. How's that sound? Strap in. Time for the recall roundup. That sounds great. Sounds good. We had a, you know, NHTSA and the manufacturers take holidays too. So we did have a rather slow week of incoming recalls over at NHTSA. But we got some good ones from our friends at Volkswagen. Uh, potentially 37,558 vehicles affected. Uh, it's another Takata airbag. This is unbelievable. Um, the driver's side airbag inflator may explode due to propellant degradation. We know this. Why Why is this finally happening now? What vehicles? This was for 2015 to 2016 Volkswagen Beetle, Beetle convertibles. Um, were, uh, were Takata still even on the market at, like, at, in 2015? Yeah. What, when, when did that recall start? The, the vehicles under that recall started being built around, I think, 2002. Those inflators were installed. I, there are vehicles with Takata airbags in them up through, in some circumstances, the 2017 model year, I believe. And that's where they were building them in late 2015 or early 2016. Um, and basic, and so that's the, kind of the, the drop dead date um, that we try to tell people to go to safeairbags.com and check their VIN number to get their, their, the repair on these things. Lots of, yeah. lots of bad uh, puns today. This is the, that's the <laughs> drop dead date. He keeps talking. I didn't mean that. Yeah. Mm. Um, the, the thing on this VW recall was they had, you know, they had raised questions um, about their particular inflators with NHTSA. They were functionally saying something similar to what GM and Ford both unsuccessfully did with inconsequentiality petitions, um, saying, you know, yes, we have ammonium nitrate airbags in these cars that were built by Takata, but they're different. And we don't think they're going to have this defect. Um, NHTSA shot down both GM and Ford, although it did allow them a few years and some delays, which means they had to replace less inflators in the end. VW kind of took a different tack and, and entered an agreement with NHTSA whereby they've done a, a scheduled recall. So they started in um, 2021 on these, I believe. They got January 1st, 2023 was the deadline for this segment of vehicles, which are mostly, I think, 2015 and 2016 Volkswagen Beetles. Right. And then they have another deadline in 2025 um, to basically finish off the recall. So these were 
vehicles that are you know very recent models so they're not going to have the environmental exposure of the 2002 2003 2004s that we continue to see um have serious problems and so the agency stepped in and said okay we'll give you a little break you don't have to recall them all at once and you know vw was going through some financial issues at the time due to their emissions cheating that scandal that they had so i don't know if they were in a position financially to do it all at once that might have played a role in it um so ultimately that's a kind of let them off the hook and gave them a scheduled recall schedule. So uh, in a staggered recall schedule. So you'll see another recall in 2025 on this. Hmm. All right, people check your car. It's free. If it has a Takata airbag or not, uh, safeairbags.com Is that it? Or is it safe airbag? Safeairbags.com, I believe yeah. it is. And we recommend that because it, directly connects people who are actively looking for a fix with a dealer or someone who can fix the car. And again, the fix is free. Um, get it done. So then we have the, uh, from automotive, automotive news, automotive news is a very different uh, publication, but automotive news um, covers the recalls in review for the, for 2022. And the winner for the most recalls is Ford. Ford issued 65 recalls affecting more than 8.6 million vehicles. That is amazing. And that's an increase from 2021 where they issued 53 recalls covering nearly 5.4 million vehicles. What is going on here? This was a, their, the most recalled component was their powertrain. Um, why, well, which I guess was running off of steam. <laughs> You know, the, the, when you see when I see a lot of recalls from one manufacturer, I, I'm not sure whether to think, hey, great, they're actually, you know, doing their um, safety work and getting bad cars off the road, or they're really building a lot of poor quality vehicles with safety issues. Um, I'm not really sure where I fall there on this one. I mean, Ford builds a lot of vehicles and sells a lot of different vehicles in america so the fact that they are recalling this many vehicles is a good thing from a safety perspective um but it would probably be great and i'm sure owners would agree with me if they were building them without these problems in the first place and owners didn't have to continue to return to their dealership to get fixes um so the numbers um may mean something they may not they may mean that ford has the best safety um system in america and that they're getting these problems off the road fast i don't believe that but you know that could be the case so the numbers themselves don't tell us a whole lot about this situation you know about 25 or 30 years ago there were ford commercials that proudly said quality is job one um, maybe it has taken a while for that slogan to take hold within Ford, or maybe it left with, what's his name, Nasser, the guy who... Uh, Jock. Yeah, tried to take over the whole world with Ford and got booted out after a while. Quality is job one. I always like that slogan, but it's taken a while to catch on. Right, and looking at their specific recalls, it was um, in just this past November, they recalled over 600,000 Bronco Sport and, and Escapes for fire risks. Um, before that, they had a recall 50,000 Mustang Mach-E's for potential power loss, which and we've discussed both of these um, on the show. But it's interesting looking at the full list of other manufacturers, and they rank this by the number of recalls as opposed to vehicles affected, which is interesting because, like I said, with Ford, it's over 8 million vehicles. Um, and then we look at, you know, General Motors, 3.2 million vehicles. And then you jump to Tesla, it's 3.7 million vehicles. Now, Tesla makes uh, not that many cars a year compared to General Motors and Ford. I think what Tesla makes in a year is what they do in a month or something like that. Uh, so that's a really high and scary amount of recalls from one manufacturer. I mean, that's is that Tesla essentially recalling every car they made in the last couple of years? Well, there's there were there were twenty different recalls there, and right. they were um, also Tesla's. I think they have barely made more than that many vehicles at this point. 
Um, so, you know, when, when you see vehicles affected, what they're doing is for each recall, they're adding up the number of vehicles that were involved in each recall. So um, conceivably, you could come up with a number there at the end that's even higher than the number of vehicles that Tesla has ever produced. So um, it doesn't really tell you a lot uh, other than that. You know, there was a high, high volume of recalls over at Tesla this year. You know, Which building cars is something that needed to happen there because they've been dodging recalls for years now. Yeah, building cars is really hard. If you if you don't pay attention to all the details, you end up with a Yugo. Um, you know, a lot of and a lot of the things that happen to cars only happen over time because people treat them in ways that you didn't really expect as you were going through the design process. And I think this is a something that Tesla is going to learn. The only way to learn it, which is the hard way, as their cars get older and people accumulate more experience with them. Along with that will come recalls for all of the unanticipated design flaws or design shortfalls that you know any car will have, but especially a brand new product with 100% new parts is bound to have a lot of growing pains. Yeah, and speaking of growing pains, you know, one of the things that that I noticed most in that list was the we had a record number, um, and it wasn't even close of uh, rear camera and rear visibility system recalls, which I know we pointed out on the podcast during Recal Roundup every week as we saw them week after week. Um, but it's been a, a really, uh, really big year for problems with rear view camera systems, which frankly is is a little confusing because it's not you know uh technically i don't think it's an incredibly difficult thing to accomplish but one of the issues we've continued to see over and over is tying these safety systems into infotainment and other systems that end up having software problems or other problems and some failures involved there that's interesting that you caught that in this article because they quote a man named, uh, I don't know if he has any relation to you, but named Michael Brooks, who uh, tracked 34 rear view camera incidences. It's, you know, small world, right? He must be a great guy. Eh, oh, you know. Well, he is a great guy. No doubt about that, boss. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting, though, that the cameras are right on track with the whole idea of uh problems emerging as systems get older is the it's been about what 10 years now since um rear view cameras came into wide use yeah they started and, going and yeah probably a little over a decade ago but they actually weren't mandated which was a big problem for us until the 2018 model year i believe right so there's lots and lots of them now and as with any other new system uh unanticipated problems are emerging you know, it's a really difficult environment for electronics to be in the tailgate because you've got a lot of very fine mist and salt spray, uh, water, mist, dirt, very fine particulate matter. All of that collects on the rear of the car, as anybody who's washed a car knows all too well. That's a really lousy environment for electronics. And I wonder if this is just a consequence of people not adequately anticipating that really bad environment not hardening the system enough to compensate for all of those uh, insults that is going to suffer back there. That's why everyone should come down to Anthony's Carb Day. That's right. Come to the Carb Day. Get all your cameras and sensors washed. If you mention this podcast, I'll give you $5 off the Carb Day. Come on down. Available in Larchmont and in Englewood. No one in America knows what a bidet is, Anthony. Uh, well, um, it will clean your car. No, nah, I mean, you have to be a, a very big bidet. Look, we have international listeners. They're like, oh, good idea. I'm not sure the idea of industrial scale bidets is ever going to go over too well. The naysayer Fred Perkins, everybody. Cassandra. Cassandra. Cassandra Fred Perkins. Uh, speaking of that, we have reader mail. Um, now I've got to find it. And it is from our long-term world's favorite subscriber to our show, our favorite listener, one of Fred's favorite siblings from Jane Perkins. How would you compare the polluting aspects of electric cars versus gasoline-powered cars? Just because electric cars don't emit noxious fumes, are they really cleaner? Or is it a form of virtue signaling for those who need that? That's a great question. And 
It's it's very difficult to answer. Thanks for giving us a great question. It's hard to answer, Jane, and embarrassing me in public. Um, a lot depends on how big a circle you draw around the system. If you spread your circle all the way out for electric cars to look at the whole process of mining the cobalt and child labor and transportation across the seas and all of those things, um, which people have done, it, ter- it turns out that the impact of electric vehicles compared to internal combustion engines is marginal if you have a conventional source for electricity. Uh, if you have a solar source for electricity, then there's, there are clear benefits in the overall footprint associated with the electric vehicles. But that's only a minority of places in this country and uh, even fewer overseas in a lot of other countries, except Denmark, where they have recorded 100% use of wind power for all their electric power. So I guess if you want to bring your car to Denmark, you would have minimum footprint. But there's, you know, that's it's a great question. It, there's no simple answer for it. it. Depends on how the car is manufactured, what's in it, where you're operating it, and the way you're operating it. It's the you know the short answer is use it as little as use any car as little as possible, and get as much mileage as you can out of that car. But uh, the longer answer is there's there's no simple way of saying one is better than the other. There's too many variables involved. I'm going to be the optimist here, though, as battery technology improves. I mean, Tesla's making a big shift to reduce the amount of cobalt in their batteries. Other manufacturers doing the same thing. I think things will keep getting better. Uh, And I think I want as many electric cars on the road as possible because that will have to force a massive upgrade of the infrastructure in this country to supply that power. And hopefully they'll get clean sources for that. But as we've all discovered from this podcast, I'm very naive and optimistic and hope things regulations on things. Well, we love you for that, Anthony. That's great. Oh. But, you know, it's also going to wear out the roads faster and require bridges to be replaced more quickly. And, you Jobs, know, baby. Depends yeah. on how big a circle you want to draw around it, Anthony. But I love the idea of new and better batteries as well. Right. And if, if you buy a Hummer EV, you are kicked off the podcast. Right. I No, I, I have no interest in that. One of my brothers, he has an electric car, and it's perfect because he has all his solar panels on his house. And I'm like, that's great for you. He's like, yeah, I just come home and I plug it in at night and I'm good to go. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm isn't like, it dark at night? <laughs> he puts a flashlight out on his roof. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying that. They do have solar panels that they've managed to get them to work at night now. What happens is uh, during the day, the uh, they heat up, they warm up, they expand, and that contraction at night as the sky cools is like a, a, a piezo uh, a current it gets generated as this crystal shrink back. Mm-hmm. It's pretty neat. Sounds great. And still, <laughs> you know, photovoltaic is based on the photo part. It's a kind of a compound word, so it's it's hard to see how photovoltaic in the dark is going to be as effective as you might like never mind but <laughs> yeah it, it, of course of course but you know he, he's got kids they stand out on the roof with flashlights it's weird um that's great those kids love it when there's a full moon they get a night off <laughs> exactly <laughs> hey with that listeners first of all we want to thank you for all of your generous donations during the month of december it was amazing um we're coming to you live from our private island because of it that's not true uh but it was incredibly helpful so much so that i'm not going to bother you for donations for at least the next couple episodes um but if you want to you can go to autosafety.org click on the red donate button but you don't have to okay but if you want to that'd be great too and uh thanks for uh spending uh, the start of 2023 with us Thank you. It's going to be a wonderful year. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.